0: The Lord be with you. The Lord wants you to scoot in. He told me I had a vision. We still got people coming in, so if you could squeeze in a little bit, that'll help us. We're really, really glad that you're here. I'm going to kill that stupid little groundhog, aren't you? Winter's over. Yeah, whatever. Okay, whatever. It's commitment. We're doing a commitment day. We're doing uh, mass baptisms at the end of this service. Uh, Already, uh, let's see, let me think this. We do eight services a weekend with Lockport. Um, So we're done with five of them. And we've had over 200 people get baptized already. How about that? Pretty cool, huh? And some stories. Let me tell you some stories. The first woman that got baptized at the Orland campus uh, is on kidney dialysis, which means she's got a port open in her body. She had to get uh, special permission from the doctor so that she could, you know, get wrapped up specifically, and she had to be the first person in the tub so nobody else's germs were in there so that she could do it, you know. And I just want to tell that story right up front because some of you are like, oh, I was going to get baptized, but I did my hair. Whatever, okay? Okay. <laughs> I don't know what your problem was. I got bronchitis. I don't care. All right? Get baptized. All right? Um, Another story. Uh, a woman and her daughter came in the tub, and I'm 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 trying to read the name tag and trying to figure out her name, and it's just hard for me to pronounce because it's obviously not you know an American name. And uh, she's she was from Tur- she had a thick accent. She was from Turkey, and she said she and her daughter were Muslim, and they were coming, and they were the first people in their family to convert from Islam over to Christianity. And we baptized her last night. And um, <clears throat> And there were stories all along the way. This one is probably one of my favorites. Um, We baptized Kenny last night. Well, actually, we baptized Kenny's wife. Kenny's already been baptized, but we baptized his wife. And uh, the fun part about this is if you remember me baptizing my friend, Biker Mike, I call him. Mike and Kenny would have been the guys five years ago, ten years ago, who if they would have met in a bar, if they would have met in the street, there would have been a fight and and somebody might have died because they were rival gangs. And they were both in the tub together last night and baptizing his... His wife and and Kenny, Kenny literally just handed me his. This is he turned in his colors to me. He resigned from the gang last night as this was going on. I want you to just watch the video. It's unbelievable. He raised up a new creature in Christ. That's Kenny's wife, rejoicing over one of their wives getting baptized in the tub. That was a moment. That was a moment. That was a moment. It was unbelievable. So uh, I'm just giving you all that just to say this is some of the stuff that's been going on this weekend. It's unbelievable. It's my favorite. I mean like I said I love Easter. You know praise God for Easter but this is so cool getting to watch this stuff happen. It's unbelievable and it's a weekend of commitment so maybe it's you. All right maybe it's you that needs to do this. Um, This is the week that we celebrate that Jesus came into you know Jerusalem and this is the last supper week and this is the crucifixion week. I mean this is Holy Week. And Jesus knew what was going to happen to him, my friends. He knew what was going to happen. He said, we are going to Jerusalem, and I will be condemned to death, and mocked, and flogged, and crucified. This is before he walked in. He knew what was going on. Jesus was committed to that. There's a new type of vegetarian MSNBC just did a report on. Christy Pug, age 28, summed it up. She said, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like bacon. (laughs) Not making that up, my friends. She represents a growing group of people that MSNBC article called flexitarians. Most of the time they don't eat meat, but every once in a while they do. Christy explained it this way. She said, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm not 100% committed. Hey, I get that. You know, bacon is a good reason not to be vegetarian. Am I right? Yeah. Hallelujah! We're a bacon church here. In case you're new, in case you don't understand, we believe in bacon—the real bacon, not the turkey bacon. Here's my uh, my favorite greeting card somebody sent me: "Roses are red, bacon is red. Poems are hard, bacon." <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome! I love that. Uh, yeah, well, you know. And, and by the way, there's also Diet Coke with bacon, in case you're ever interested. I mean, then we have it all. Okay. Here's what I'm saying. I'm really glad that Jesus was not a flexitarian. Aren't you? Because if ever ever there was a moment for Jesus to be like, well, I'm not 100% committed. This is the week for Jesus. He knows what's getting ready to happen. He goes riding into town on this donkey, even though there's a price on his head, even though he knows what. It's getting ready to happen to him. He goes ahead and goes in. And there's some stuff that happens during this week. Three things I just want to focus on. Three little snippets from his life as I help you to understand what we can learn from Jesus during Holy Week. Okay? That's what I want to do today. What can we learn from Jesus during Holy Week? It's pretty simple. Um, start off with a triumphal entry. Somebody asked me, you know, do we give out palm branches? And I'm like, uh, I don't know where we find 8,000 palm branches, so no. But, but here's the other thing. I don't even know, theologically, if I want to do that. Because Palm Sunday, while the people were all excited, Jesus was weeping and I'm not, I'm not even sure and that they thought he was going to be this different kind of king I'm not even sure that the palm branch thing is what we ought to be doing listen to the story again they brought the donkey pay attention to that and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road and the crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouted Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as I've explained they didn't really really understand what was going on they thought Jesus was cool Lazarus has been just raised from the dead it's only been a week right and Lazarus was in the tomb for four Jesus left him there on purpose so nobody could say he's not dead yet yeah he's dead he's been in there for four days and seeing a guy who's been dead for four days walking around with Jesus has made him kind of popular is that the guy from the walking dead yeah it is that's him that's Lazarus So the crowd is hyper, and they're excited, and they're thinking, if Jesus can make the blind people see, and the lame people walk, and He can raise the dead guy, and He's fulfilled all these prophecies, maybe He is the Son of David, maybe He's the Messiah. But remember this, they wanted Him to be the King. They wanted Him to kick Rome out. They did not understand who Jesus was supposed to be. So the great irony in this whole thing is that while the people are all doing the Harlem Shake as Jesus is walking down the road, Jesus is weeping. And it's not because they're bad dancers. Listen, as He approached Jerusalem and saw the city... He wept over it and He said, If only you had known the day this would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. If only you would have known this day. You know what? I I know what you need. I know what peace is. I know where you can find it. Worship Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Maybe this is what needed to happen in your life today so you could celebrate Easter in a brand new way. Maybe it's getting baptized. I don't know what it is for you. But it's going to be a special day for you. Peace is available to you. So, what do we learn from Jesus? I mean, I, we're disciples of Christ. We're supposed to learn from him, we're supposed to be like him. Lesson number one sometimes you just got to get your donkey in gear and go. My wife wouldn't let me use the King James. I tried. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to get your donkey and gear and go. Am I right? Can I get an amen from you? I mean, that's what needs to happen. Listen to Jesus at this time approach for him to be taken up to heaven. Jesus Resolutely set out for Jerusalem the King James Version used to say that he set his face towards Jerusalem What does that mean? Jesus knows it's not going to be easy He knows it's not hard and sometimes you just got to get on your donkey and you just got to go That's what's got to happen. You understand that sometimes you've got to make it go like maybe it is for you with baptism today. Some, you know what? It's cold outside. It's not supposed to snow on Palm Sunday. Hey, whatever. You know? That maybe, maybe you just need to do it. Because God has a will for a reason. And God has these things happen for a reason. And God wanted Jesus to write in on Sunday for a reason. What was Sunday? Well, I need to explain a little of the background of this so that you can get a hold of this whole thing. Passover is getting ready to happen. Jesus was crucified on Passover weekend. How much significance, uh, I mean, you you have to dig into it to really be able to understand this. But Passover was celebrated because of Moses and the ten plagues. And if you've been following along in this story, you understand this. Moses and the ten plagues, there was going to be a death angel that was going to come through on the very last plague. And the death angel was going to come through and the firstborn was going to die because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. And and God said, Hey, I got an idea for you. Here's how you handle this. I don't want any of your firstborns to die. So you take a lamb and you sacrifice a lamb. Hang on to that thought. You sacrifice a lamb and you spread, spread the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. And when the death angel comes in, did you see it on the on the Bible program? That's been phenomenal, hasn't it? That Bible thing on History Channel. I mean, it, when they did that, it was really, really cool the way they did it. Angel comes in. Sees the blood, goes on to the next house. Passed over. That's what Passover was. So Passover is getting ready to happen. Jesus rides in on Sunday before Passover. What is Sunday before Passover? It was Lamb Selection Day. It was literally the day when people, millions of people, would come into this small little burg of Jerusalem because this is where the temple was and they would come from all over and they would come in and on Sunday they would go to the market or the temple or wherever they were going and they would buy the young unblemished lamb that they were going to sacrifice on Passover the next weekend. The crowd's not getting it. They don't get the peace. They don't get what's happening. They're not figuring out that Jesus is riding in on Lamb Selection Day. And remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus for the first time. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how he introduced Jesus. Nobody gets it. They didn't get the symbolism. They didn't understand it. And Jesus... It takes courage for Jesus to do this because by this time, the religious leaders are ready to kill him. William Barclay, commentator, wrote it this way, it was an act of glorious defiance and superlative courage for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. By this time, there was a price on his head. It would have been natural that if he was going to Jerusalem at all, he would have slipped in unseen and gone in through the back streets. But he entered in such a way as to focus all the limelight on himself and occupy the center stage. It's breathtaking to think about a man with a price on his head, deliberately riding into the city in such a way that every eye was fixed on him. It is impossible to exaggerate the sheer courage of Jesus. Sometimes you just got to get on your donkey and go. And sometimes the thing God calls us to do, take courage. And sometimes we may not fully understand it, but maybe whatever that is for you today, you need to understand that that you need to quit being a flexitarian now at this point, and it's time to be committed, 100% committed. Whatever that is, you got to be committed. Get on your donkey, get it in gear, and go. We got 180 committed junior high kids this weekend. They're down in Peoria. Look at this picture. That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens with iPhones, okay? We got a picture of our kids. 180 kids, they've given up their weekend to go down. They're committed to go down and worship Jesus with a whole bunch of other junior hires. That's not the committed part. The committed part for me is the fact that all of their parents have committed to pick them up when we bring them home. Praise God for that, okay? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to get on your donkey. Paul said it this way, forgetting what is behind, and listen to this word, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. I mean, you know, I talked to one of the guys helping us with their baptism. He ran the 31-mile marathon yesterday downtown at the lakefront. I'm like, what, how do you do that? You do that by straining and pressing on and training. Okay? How, how do you get anything in your life? You strain and you press on and you train. And sometimes when the going gets tough, the tough have to get going and Jesus had to get going. Well, sometimes you got to strain and press towards the goal for which God has called me. So Jesus did. He got on His donkey. Now, well, let me fast forward to Thursday, okay? He does some teaching. It's Thursday. He gets the gang together because it's his one last night. He wants to spend one night with them all together. He makes a reservation, gets an upper room, gets everybody around one side of the table, you know, so they can take a picture. Is that John or Mary? I'm just kidding. I don't know. And their Last Supper is happening. And Jesus is getting them all together, and he's been listening to them argue. What have they been arguing about? I called shotgun. Shotgun. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, they've been arguing three times. They argue about who is the greatest in the kingdom. At one point, James and John got their mommy involved in the conversation. The disciples can't get past this kindergarten mentality of, I want to be next to Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. No, I get to be. I want to be there. I'm the greatest. You're the greatest. Jesus had taught them over and over again. I did not come to be served, but to serve. That's what He told them. And it was a lesson they had a hard time believing. Because why? Because they live in the real world with you and me. In the real world, you don't turn the other cheek. You even... The score. In the real world, you don't pray for your enemies, you defeat your enemies. In the real world, the first are first, not the last first. I mean, come on. So after dinner, Jesus passes on the tiramisu and he gets up and he wrapped a towel around his waist and after that he poured water into a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, in Jesus' day, that task was reserved for the lowest person in the room. Usually it was a servant, but they were disciples of Jesus. They didn't have servants, so there was no servant there. Okay? Uh, so what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Everybody walked in the room. They knew their feet were dirty, their dusty roads. They knew they were going to recline at a table together. And everybody looked around and thought, hmm, somebody ought to wash feet, but I'm not doing it because I'm not the lowest. Right? It's like I feel about my March Madness bracket right now. <laughs> I'm 53rd out of 56 people in my bracket, but there are three people that are lower than me, okay? well, I'm not the lowest. I'm terrible, but I'm not the lowest. So Jesus says, I will demonstrate for you who the lowest person in the room is. And he wraps a towel around him, and Jesus gets down and washes their feet. Does that make any sense? It does only make sense in the kingdom of Jesus, because Jesus said, The greatest among you, will be the least, and I'll demonstrate it for you. And then, of course, he made the point. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now you know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. So lesson number two for us is that sometimes you need to grab your towel and serve. Sometimes you need to grab your towel and serve. Jesus showed us over and over again. He he did not come to be served. He did not come to be great or rewarded or crowned or elected. He ran away from all that. He didn't want any of that. He came to serve. And I don't know what that means for you in your life. Maybe uh, that means you need to jump in and help us. We're doing nine services over here starting on Thursday night. And we're going to need some help. Maybe that's what that is. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's about going and serving the homeless or serving some less fortunate people that are around you that you know that you could go to do something with. But here's, what, here's what's tricky. It's really simple for you to figure this out because you already live with a bunch of people that you ought to be serving. And that's always the hardest, isn't it? You know, how, how do you serve a, a husband who hasn't been very thoughtful to you lately? How do you serve a wife who hasn't had a kind word to say in a really long time? How do you serve a child who is not really grateful? How do you serve a parent who's been verbally abusive to you? How do you serve a coworker who stabs you in the back every chance they get? How do you serve a friend who's always taking and never giving? At some point, you just feel like going, you know what? Somebody else can wash feet. That's not what Jesus did. And I want you to notice that Jesus was not selective when He washed feet. I mean, who was it that He was washing feet of? Three people I can think of in particular. Peter, who is getting ready to deny Him three times, and he knows it because He's going to warn Him in just a second. Thomas, who's going to say, whatever, I don't believe you came back from the dead. I don't believe any of that stuff. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And, of course... Judas, do you realize that just moments, literally maybe a few minutes or an hour, before Judas goes and betrays Jesus, Jesus washes Judas's feet? Do you understand that? That's the message of Christ. And that's a lesson all of us need to learn from Holy Week, isn't it? I don't know if you read my blog post about the new Pope, I'm really excited. I'm not a Catholic, never have been, but you know, I'm excited about Pope Francis, because Francis of Assisi was a servant of the poor, and I'm excited because this guy's from Latin America, and he understands the poor, and when he was back, when he was Cardinal Jorge, he rode the subway when he went to the Vatican instead of taking one of the fancy cars, and now that he's the Pope, that's kind of the way he is. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you heard this story, but it's getting kind of weird. You may not have heard, but the other day he was supposed to be going somewhere, and uh, he told the chauffeur he's like look i can't take this you driving me around all the time why don't you let me drive today and you get in the back (laughs) and and so he did and he started driving around it and he accidentally ran a red light and he got pulled over by the cops And, and so these, these partners, these two guys are like, one. the older partner's like, well, this is your call. You've got to go deal with it. So the younger partner walked up to the window and tapped on the window, and he rolled down the window, and he just started freaking out. you know. And he ran back to the partner. He's going, he's going man, we've got a problem. The guy goes, look, I know it's a limo, but what's the big deal? He said, no, this guy's big. He said, is it the mayor? No, he's bigger. Is it the governor? No, he's bigger. Is it the president? No, he's bigger than that. The guy goes, who could be bigger than the president? The younger partner said... I don't know. I don't know who he is, but the Pope is his chauffeur. That's big. That is is a really old joke that works now with Pope Francis. Because this is the first guy I could actually see doing this. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but after he was installed as Pope, the first thing he did is he went back and he paid his motel bill. He's the, he's, the, he's the head of the church. The church owns the hotel, but he went back and paid his hotel bill. you got to love that. And listen, the Catholic Church has got some major problems. I understand that. And I have huge theological differences with them on some things. But, but it doesn't matter. Take all that aside. The answer to the world's problems is never going to come in politics. It's not going to come in power. It's only going to come in service. And that's why I'm happy about this. All right? Um... This is a picture from back when he was a cardinal in Argentina, and that sums it up for me. Again, take the, you know, take the Pope thing, take the church out, it doesn't matter. This is what we are all called to. And the last night of Jesus' life, He told us this. He taught us this. You know, you think the last night... I mean, think about what Jesus is getting ready to do. He's getting ready to have the worst 24 hours that anybody has ever had in human history. I would be thinking, you know what? I need to kick back with my friends. Maybe I need to have another glass of wine. I got some stuff that I got to think through here, right? What is Jesus doing? He's washing Judas's feet. Sometimes you just got to grab your towel and go. See every once in a while you hear a story like 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 this one I heard from last year's football season from a, a high school in uh, St. Clairsville, Ohio. They had this kid on the team last year, Michael Ferns, who was this 235 two hundred thirty five pound four star recruit running back from for Michigan I was already signed for Michigan. you know how you have a one kid on a, a remarkable kid on a high school team and they can kind of make the whole season and, and Michael ran fifty two yards down the sideline and was uh, you know headed towards a touchdown and nobody could Catch him at fourth quarter they 're already winning pretty big in the game and he gets to the end zone and he steps out of bounds instead of going in and the ref's not even paying attention he's like well he must have run in so he calls a touchdown and Michael comes back and he argues no no I didn't go in I stepped out of bounds and the ref's like what are you talking about the coach runs out he goes no he stepped out of bounds he didn't go in and the ref's like what's going on here nobody ever argues the other way against a touchdown and they said no he did it on purpose we've got something going on here and the ref said okay and they called everybody back and they lined up on the one foot line and it was at that point that everything started to make sense because they Gave the ball to a freshman named Logan Thompson who had never carried the ball before. He was a freshman, wasn't very big, but his father passed away from a stroke two days before that. And the whole team had gotten together and said, you know what, we're going to give this kid a way to celebrate on this day. And Logan Thompson saddled up, ran the ball in for a touchdown. Not a great story. That is such a great story. I love that. And when I say that, you're like, "Dad, gummit." that's the way the world ought to be. And Jesus is saying, that's absolutely right. It's got to start with you and me. Sometimes you've got to grab your towel and serve. So Jesus gives them the ultimate object lesson, and then it's time. Okay, it's time for the the worst day of his life. And he decides to pray. He says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he enters into this emotional tug of war thing that he's got going on in his mind. He sweats drops of blood because he's so he's so into this 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 decision that he's about to make. And it says, going on a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. And he prayed. Here's lesson number three for you, okay? Sometimes you just need to hit your knees and pray. There, there are times when you just need to buck up and get your donkey going and, and, and move on, okay? There are some times when you just need to grab your towel and serve. And there are some times, can we just be honest, there are some times when you can't do it by yourself. There's sometimes when you just can't make this happen. There's sometimes when you can't do anything except go to the Father and hit your knees and say, God, I can't make this on my own. And before you go feeling guilty about those moments, will you please come back and remember that Jesus had one of those moments. And He prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I mean, it's all about your will, Lord, but is there any way out of this? Do I have to do this? And somehow during this prayer time, somehow God the Father gets it into Jesus' mind, uh, or he speaks to him in some way. And I believe maybe what he said was Jesus, do you remember that just a few days ago when you were with the disciples, you told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, it's still that. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and nobody can come to me except through you. So there is no other way. There's no other way to wipe the slate clean. Listen, man, don't miss Easter because it's going to be incredible. We've got this great service. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that you're going to be here and bringing people. Um, it, it's, a, it's the rest of the story, and it's amazing. But the point here is that there's a disease called sin. And we've all got it, and the wages of sin is death. It's a terminal disease. So we need some help from this. So the only way is to Jesus. And this is, can I just say this for a second? This is my issue with people that say, oh, well, there's, Jesus is just one of many ways to God. Because don't you think if Jesus was one of many ways to God that God might have bothered telling him that in the garden when Jesus is sweating drops of blood? I mean, if there are more than one way to God, what kind of a sick God would make his son die on a cross if there was another way? This doesn't make any sense. I wish I could tell you something different, but it doesn't make any sense. Jesus wishes that there could be something different, but there isn't anything different. And I believe that this was a moment that was harder for Him than any of the other moments. Because sometimes you've got to get to the point where you hit your knees and pray, and then God gives you the strength, and you carry on from that point. If you've seen The Hobbit... Already, how many of you have seen The Hobbit already? The movie you read The Hobbit at some point along the way. It's this great book by Tolkien, who's a Christian. And he writes the story. If you don't know the story, The Hobbit is about this little man, this little hobbit, who has to go in and rescue the treasure back from a, from a dragon. It's a treasure that his friends have lost, and he doesn't want to go, and he's very afraid, but he decides to go do it. And so he goes into the cave, and he's in the cave where he's there. He's getting ready to go in, and he can, he can smell the dragon's breath, and he can hear the dragon breathing, and he can see the glow, uh, the orange glow of the dragon's skin, but the dragon is asleep. And he's walking into the cave and he's scared to death. He's overcome with terror. Here's what Tolkien wrote. This is so awesome. It was, just imagine Jesus at this moment. It was at this point that the hobbit stopped. Going on from there was the bravest thing he ever did. The tremendous things that happened afterward were as nothing compared to it. He fought the real battle in the tunnel alone before he ever saw the vast danger that lay in wait. I think that's what you could say of Jesus at this moment. You could, you could say this is this was the moment right here where he fought the fight, fought the fight, and he decided to go on. And he got strength from God somehow, and he went on. And as he went on, what did he do? They went went throughout the garden, and pretty soon, out of the darkness came a familiar face, typical Middle Eastern greeting, kiss on both sides of the cheek. Jesus says, "Judas, seriously, you couldn't think of a better way to betray me." than with a kiss they lead Jesus away series of mock trials they take him to the high priest high priest can't find anything to convict him on until he gets to the point where he finally says listen I just got to ask you this are you the Christ are you the son of God and Jesus said yeah this is it I am I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim it this is who I am this is it and they accuse him of blasphemy And they take him to Pilate because they can't kill him. Remember that? And Pilate says, you're crazy. I don't even understand what you're doing here. And he sends him to Herod. And Herod says, you're crazy. I don't know why you send him to me. And he sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate says, he's done nothing wrong. But the crowd is here now, right? The crowd is here and they're ready for blood because the crowd wanted him to be king. And now he's not going to be king. So they think he's blasphemous. They want to kill him and they want blood. So they take him and they beat him. You've seen the movie. You've seen what's gone on. I mean, it had to be an R-rated movie, man. The Passion of Christ could not be PG-13. They took Jesus. They strapped Him to the pole. A professional soldier took a whip that that was a whip with nine pieces of, of strips of leather coming out of it with pieces of bone and glass embedded in it. And he beat Jesus 39 times with the cat of nine tails. He was a professional. He knew how to rip the skin off. Historians tell us that two-thirds of the people that were beaten this way died. Jesus didn't die because he was tough. He was a carpenter. He had stuff to do still. I like the way Dave Stone said that he was a godly man and and he was a manly God. I like to think of of Jesus that way because he didn't die. He can't die yet. There are prophecies that still have to be fulfilled. And so the Bible at this point gives one very short phrase in the Greek. It says, they crucified Him. That's all it says. They crucified him. They didn't have to explain it because back then everybody knew what that meant. Everybody knew it was a horrible way to die and it was humiliating and they were going to strip his clothes off and they were going to do everything they could to humiliate him in every possible way. And everybody knew that and they knew that it was going to be horrible as they they put these nails, these six-inch spikes in his arms, in his wrists so that they could nail him up. And they would put nail between both of his feet and they would put him with his knees bent just a little bit like this. Why is that? Because you die on the cross of suffocation. That's how you die. That's why it's so horrible. So you push yourself up and get a breath, and then the pain would set in, and your muscles would get tired, and you would sink down, and you wouldn't be able to breathe, and you'd be up and down and up and down, and that's how it would go until you finally died. Most people died very quickly doing it that way, especially those. I mean, the two guys next to Him on the cross had not been beaten 39 times with a cat and nine tails. They would not already bled out. The fact that Jesus survived this long is really amazing. It's really unbelievable to think about what happened to Jesus along the way. But He can't die yet because there's more stuff to happen. They crucified Him. That, that's all it says. They just crucified Him. Now, imagine that you're in Jerusalem during all this, okay? Imagine that you're in Jerusalem and you have been used to hearing this sound twice a day. This is a shofar. It's made out of a ram's horn. I'm not really good at it, so give me, give me a little grace here. Imagine twice a day you hear the sound of the shofar. What's going on at the sound of the shofar? Well, twice a day they would sacrifice a lamb for the sins of the people. It was once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and when they heard the sound of the shofar, they would stop everything. They would have a moment of silence because everybody knew that at those two moments, a lamb was being slain for their sins. Everybody knew this—a substitute for their sins. As we've been studying the story along the way, we've been figuring out that this whole thing is that Jesus is the God set this system up so that they would be able to understand that sin brings death. Sin brings death. They're like Pavlov's dogs. He's 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 conditioning them. Sin brings death. That's the only way that it works. Is sin brings death because it's terminal. So twice a day, all of their lives, they're hearing the shofar go off and knowing that their sin had to be paid for with the. Blood Blood of an innocent lamb. It says all the way even up into Hebrews in the New Testament. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There can't be forgiveness unless somebody pays the price. All right. Keep in mind also all the symbolism. The the prophet Isaiah had told us that the Messiah would bear our sins, that the Messiah would be crushed for our iniquities, that by his wounds we would be healed, that he would be. This was the interesting one pierced for our transgressions. Do you realize that crucifixion hadn't been invented yet when Isaiah wrote those words? When God told him to write that prophecy, he had no idea what pierced for our transgressions was going to be like. Keep in mind that that, that John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, keep in mind that Jesus entered into the city on Lamb Selection Day. All this processing with you? I told you that they sounded the shofar twice a day. I didn't tell you when. 9 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They heard the sound of the shofar. starting to click in already for some of you. What time was Jesus crucified? Mark fifteen twenty-five says that Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. What are the odds of that? That at the very moment the priest is sacrificing a lamb in the temple and the people are stopping everything because they hear the sound of the shofar that the lamb of God outside the city is being crucified. The Bible goes on to tell us that three hours later everything went dark. It was as if God put His hand over the sun and a total eclipse of the sun happened with God's hand and it went dark at noon. The Bible tells us that this is what happened. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, it makes total sense to me because if you go back 33 years ago when Jesus was born, it was nighttime, and the sky lit up with the glory of heaven, right? When the angels showed that's what happened back then because the light of the world had come so it didn't matter what time it was, the light was here. Now it didn't matter if it was daytime. The light of God is being extinguished and everything went dark. And the Bible goes on to tell us that three hours later, Jesus died. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that the time was 3 o'clock. Shofar time. Again, everything stops. The priest blows the horn. And Jesus said it is finished. Just imagine that you're back in Jerusalem at this moment. I mean, you're not paying any attention. You're not getting the symbolism of Lamb Selection Day and the Lamb of God and the prophets of Isaiah. You're not getting a hold of any of that. And all of a sudden, 9 o'clock on Friday, the horn sounds and you're thinking, oh, Lamb's being slain for my sin. I'm so thankful for that. And Jesus is out there on the cross. And at noon it goes dark and at 3 o'clock Jesus dies and you hear the shofar again and Jesus says, it is finished. Do you see how this all wraps together? What is it is finished? It is finished was an accounting term. It means the debt has been paid. It means that it's all over. The, the sacrificial system. The show. You don't need to do this anymore. No more lambs need to die in the making of this story. It's all done. This is the culmination of 26 weeks of us going through the story. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant. And when you put all this together, you can't help but believe this story. When you put all of it together and how the Bible all goes together, bringing us up to what we're getting ready to celebrate this weekend and next weekend. And and so, i I just got to stop right now and ask you, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it gets better next week. I know it's hard for you to imagine, but it gets better next week. I'm not going to spoil it. I just want to make sure I want to make sure you're bringing somebody back, because it's going to be a great service. And I want to give you an opportunity if you're going to get baptized at the end of this service, I want to give you an opportunity. Uh, when I pray right now, you can go on back and get ready, and we'll be ready to go here in just a second. But right now, I just want to take a minute, and I want to pray for next week, because this story is too good to keep it to ourselves. Lord God, I just pray for those who are here, that they will walk out of here and decide they're going to invite somebody next week, even if they're new here even if they, they don't even fully understand this story it's too good of a story to keep to yourself it's good news of great joy to all people you told us in the very beginning Jesus came to bring us good news he came and demonstrated it he rode in on Lamb selection day he went to the cross he was crucified at the hour that they, that they sacrificed the lamb and six hours later he said it was finished because the debt has been paid and next week he rises from the dead and shows us that this is all possible for all of us be with those who are thinking about getting baptized right now be with those who are thinking about inviting somebody be with those our friends and family who need this message if they only Jesus said if they only knew the peace that could come to them that's how we feel about those people that don't have you if they could only know the peace that Sometimes we weep for them too, Jesus. Let their hearts be open as we invite them next weekend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen just want you to understand what happened. Okay? That's the story. Now, what happened after that? Uh, Peter, after Jesus rises from the dead, Peter gets up and he says, Hey, you know what? I'm going to preach a sermon today. And the Holy Spirit came upon him and he preached this sermon. And he basically said, Look, you people, you crucified Jesus for crying out loud. And the people, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, I'll tell you what you should do. You should repent and you should be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Does that sound good? And this promise is for you and for your children and all of those who are far off, whom the Lord our God will call, which might be you today. And it's funny because it goes on, it says, those who accepted His message were baptized and there were about 3,000 of them. This mass baptism weekend, it's not an original concept. I stole it. <laughs> stole it out of Acts chapter 2, verse 41. I don't, know, I don't know what this Holy Week deal is for you. I don't know what your lesson needs to be, your takeaway. Maybe it's just, I, I'm out of all the options. I need to hit my knees and pray. Well, here, here's, what, here's what Paul told us. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the verse you need to hold on to. You, just, you, you can do anything. You can slay the dragon. You can do whatever. You can, go to, you can go to the tomb. You can do whatever needs to happen if you have Christ who gives you strength. Maybe it's you need to grab your towel and serve. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Maybe you need to get your donkey in gear and you just need to go. You can do all things through Christ that gives you strength. I want you to notice what happened to the disciples after. After they come to Jesus, after they get the opportunity to be, have the power of Jesus inside of them, they are changed. As a matter of fact, when people saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were amazed and took note that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they were changed and you can be changed too. Listen, we got towels available for you. We got we got Plastic bags to put on your car seat so you don't get it all wet. We got stuff for you uh, to put your stuff in. We got it all organized. It's all ready to go. People are lining up. If if this is what God is calling you to do, then you need to go and get baptized. Don't wait. All right. Don't 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 wait. Jesus got baptized like this immersion by John, and John said you don't need to do this, and Jesus said yeah I need to do this because I want to fulfill all righteousness. And when he did, the heavens opened up and God went way to go. That's my boy. For no other reason. You got to get baptized the way Jesus did. And everybody that came to Jesus in the New Testament, the first thing they did was they got baptized. This is not about membership in a church. We are not Protestants. This is not about being Catholic or Protestant or being a member of a church or not being a member of a church. This is about following Christ, okay? That's all it is. And I know that some of you are thinking, uh, you know, PT, I'm not, I'm not good enough, man. Oh, no, duh. I know you're not good enough. I'm not good enough either. You're not ever going to be good enough until you have the power of Jesus Christ living in you. You can't be good enough until you get Jesus in you. That's why it's called grace. I mean, do you see the, the video of the two guys in the tub? I mean, they're they're ex-biker gang guys. They've done some time. They've done some bad things. I baptized a guy here who did 30 years for murder. He went in at age 17. He was a member of the Latin Kings, and he did 30 years for murder. And when he got out, the first thing, he did is he found a church and he came and we baptized him. He was a murderer. I don't have to go to these stories. How about if I just go back to the Bible? Peter denied Christ three times. And he was right there with him. Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, was a Christian killer. And as soon as God called him, as soon as Jesus appeared to him, he immediately went and got baptized by Ananias. It's supposed to be the beginning of the process, okay? Don't think, well, if I get good enough, then I'll get baptized. No, that's not the way it is. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of the process. And it doesn't, it doesn't save you. There's nothing magical about the waters. This is about your heart. This is about demonstrating to God who you are. And for some of these people, it's going to be a recommitment of their life to God. Maybe that's what you need to do. And for some of them, it's going to be, hey, this is it. I'm making, I'm making my step. I'm getting my donkey in gear, and I'm going to go follow Jesus, and I'm going to quit being a flexitarian. I'm going to be committed. So we're going to do a song. It's country. Thank <laughs> you. But, dang, guys, if you haven't heard Rascal Flatts' newest song, Change, it's, I mean, it's about, their song is about baptism, so we're going to do that right now. It's, it's an incredible story. If you read the background of this song, one of their daughters got baptized in the ocean, and it was just a, a, a really beautiful time for these guys to think about a change and about, you know, Jesus said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, he's a new creation, and that's what this is all about. So we're going to do that, and as they do that, you can go back and get ready, and, and we'll help you figure out what you need to do okay but listen don't forget it's about grace it's not about you changing yourself it's about being changed um, i'm going to pray for us you can stay around as long as you want watch this and we'll stay around and baptize as long as you want and hey as you're thinking uh, you know what i didn't bring any clothes uh we have a service at 5 45 tonight and i will be doing more baptisms then so come on back and get her done all right the water's fine Father God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for new life uh, symbolized in this uh, tub right now. And uh, thank you for new life that is exemplified for us this next weekend as we celebrate Easter. Lord, I pray that there will literally be thousands of people here who just did not understand the message of Easter. That will walk out of here with a relationship with you next weekend. Lord, be with us as we do all this. It's so much fun. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. Help us to bring heaven to earth and to take earth to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.